It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, lots of parents and students are trying to figure out how they're going to pay for college this year or in future years. I'm going to talk about how you do that and get the most bang for your buck. Later, I've got a reminder for you about something so many of us are wasting money on. So 529 plans are something that now millions upon millions upon millions of families have for kids as they grow up. You can use uh, the money in part in certain circumstances to pay for private education, kindergarten through 12th, but the main thrust and purpose is to have tax-free growth of your money to pay for at least a portion of college costs. The average account in a 529 plan now covers typically about three semesters, a year and a half, of a state college. And so people have been, over the years, from when a kid's young till they're 18 or 19 entering college, have been able, putting in little bits of money every month, to end up with an amount that will meaningfully reduce the amount that has to be borrowed for college or paid for some other way. But the thing with 529 plans is there are a lot of junk plans, hideous plans, rip-off plans, and then there are steadily more each year good plans. 529, May 29th, has become one of those pseudo-events, holidays, for 529 plans. It's the one time a year that they try to promote themselves standing above the noise of the crowd. And so there I went. I jumped right in the pool doing what they want, which is talking about 529 plans. So a lot of people hearing the publicity about it, maybe not even being that familiar with it before, say, hey, yeah, I'd like to start something for my grandkid for school or for my kid. And they sign up for a plan. And various 529 plans have special promotions wrapped into May 29th, 529. And I want you to know that the favor that they've done is bring the topic up again, remind you again, or if you've never heard about it, tell you about it because it's really cool that if money is used for an eligible education expense, the money you put in it grows tax-free through the years and is spent tax-free. And many states, in addition, roll in a state tax deduction for contributions that you do up to a certain limit each year. It's a great deal. If a kid goes particularly to college, you know, again, it could be private school, but for college, Because if a kid doesn't go to college, well, then it gets, as they say, bad ugly. Because you pay tax on everything that it's earned and a 10% penalty to boot on those earnings. So it's really designed when there's a family culture that college is what you're about. But think about what I said up front. There are good plans and then really hideous plans. Now, eliminate any plan at all that involves you opening it 
with a salesperson. Those are commission plans, and it's possible that over the years, you would end up with less money than you started with because the massive commissions and a lot of those plans that are done by banks or the full commission brokerage houses, you'll end up paying so much in fees and commissions that it's like you put the vehicle for your wallet into reverse instead of into forward gear. The good news is what are known as direct sold plans have steadily grown, but the expenses for them have pretty much universally across the board as the amount of money in these plans has gone up and up and up. The cost of the good plans has gone down, down, down to where the fees you pay are getting to be, in many of the plans, teensy tiny. I have a guide to 529 plans. I'm working on the revisions right now, but you can see the current guide I have at clark.com slash 529 and see the plans that are available. And the biggest change from the advice I'd given for years is because of a recent regulatory change. It is now great for grandparents to own a 529 plan for the benefit of grandchildren instead of a parent owning the plan. Because if you are a grandparent who tends to have maybe more assets, you're able to put money in there. If you later need the money to live on, you can pull it back. You'll have to pay those taxes and penalties I talked about. But it gives you a way to get money out of your estate for the benefit of a grandchild. You can even change which beneficiary it is if one grandchild doesn't go to school and then another does. So you've got a lot of flexibility and now no longer punishment in a child qualifying for financial aid when a 529 plan is owned by a grandparent instead of a parent. All right, Clark, we've got some questions here. Leon in California says, you mentioned that you increase your credit line every year to reduce the utilization rate. I was wondering if requesting a credit increase from the bank does a hard pull on your credit score. So, Leon, I have not seen that that has caused a hard pull on my credit report. But even if it did, I wouldn't worry about it, especially because the hard inquiry hit is a small enough impact on the credit score. But that hadn't happened to me. Uh, The credit bureaus already have continuous access to your credit report, the credit cards do, because it's part of what they do. They want to check your credit report every 30 days so they know if you have become a danger to them before you might end up with charged off balances. So they already have that information, and that's why I don't think it ever shows up as a hard inquiry when I do request the credit limit increase. This is from Nick in Virginia. I just purchased my first rental property and placed it into an LLC. My question is, what is the best way to maximize my 5% credit card benefits? I currently have a Lowe's credit account with 5% off and an Amazon Prime credit account with 5% off, both of which are in my personal name. I found that a majority of my purchases have been from these two retailers. I know you recommend only using consumer credit cards for business use for the protections they offer. As I already have these two cards in my name, 
Would adding my wife as an authorized user and using her cards for business purchases only be the best way to keep my business purchases separate while still maximizing my 5% off card benefits? Nick, I like the way you're thinking because you're really talking from an accounting standpoint. You could pay your bill if it was just your card. You could pay your bill with one payment from a personal account, the second from the LLC's checking account, and still have the benefit of the 5% cash back for all those purchases. But your idea of getting a second issued card on the Amazon credit card and the Lowe's credit card is a really clever way to make the accounting so much simpler. And then again, you just make two payments each billing cycle, one for the personal charges, the other for the LLC charges. And Sheen in Georgia says, Clark, what are your thoughts on becoming a Turo host with the increased demand right now? Shane, uh, I love the idea of you becoming a Turo host. You need to know that your own automobile insurer may not like you very much. You need to make sure that they don't require that you add some kind of rider to your automobile insurance policy or amendment to it. But for people who are not aware, Turo and its competitors turn you into kind of like an Airbnb host of car rentals. So you put your vehicle available for rent, and with the inflated rates of car rentals right now, you're doing people a favor by adding to the inventory of vehicles available for rent. You're likely saving them money, and this is potentially a win all the way around. The hassle comes is if there is an accident and Turo gives you a million dollars liability coverage, but there's also other risks involved in this circumstance. If there is, in fact, an accident, just be aware of that. But I do love the idea, if you have your eyes wide open, being a Turo host. And Suzanne says, I booked a flight to Durango, Colorado on June 4th. The website for the airline stated that for my particular trip, there were no COVID requirements at this time. Does that mean I don't have to be tested before I fly? Right. So flying within the United States, you don't have to be tested for COVID. Uh, For a while, there were all kinds of rules involved in travel to the state of California. Those don't exist anymore. So domestic travel is not the issue. The big thing you need to know is that if you travel in what's sometimes referred to as the near abroad, a lot of Americans have been going to the Yucatan of Mexico and other fun in the sun spots outside the United States. And for return to the United States from destinations outside the U.S., you have to follow a COVID test protocol 72 hours before your return to the U.S., or you don't get to fly back. Travel within the United States, no issue. And coming straight ahead, if you're guilty of forgetting about gift cards that are sitting around, you are not alone. I'm going to talk about why you need to dust them off and use them immediately. Gift cards are something I have a love-hate relationship with. I only love a gift card if I get more in value than the money I'm paying for it. Let's say there's a restaurant I love and you pay 80 bucks and you get $100 
worth of gift cards or something like that, where you're getting more in value for a place you know you're going to go to, you know you're going to use that card. I despise gift cards that are dollar for dollar that people give as gifts for birthday, Christmas, whatever, because the reality is a huge number of gift cards given are never redeemed. Even worse, as we've seen so much of in the last year, a lot of places you might have a gift card that you didn't get around to using, go out of business, and the money's gone. Real U.S. money that doesn't happen to. But let's take an extremely healthy business, one of the most successful in the world, Home Depot. Home Depot isn't going anywhere. In fact, they're making huge profits. Their sales are way up. And I saw in a recent interview that Home Depot executive did with a business publication, bizjournals.com, that the amount of of unredeemed gift cards for them, just a single retailer. There's $800 million in gift cards people just never have gotten around to redeeming. Now, here's the shocker. After Christmas, it was just over $800 million. Now it's a whisker under $800 million, meaning that people just who got them for Christmas have never really gotten around to using them. Retailers love this. They call it breakage in the financial circles. And retailers and restaurants book huge profits on gift cards that are never redeemed. People lose them. They accidentally throw them away. They put them in a drawer, don't remember they have them. And it's just pure profit. So I don't want you to have your wallet broken because you're helping Home Depot or some other retailer or restaurant benefit 100% pure profit from this breakage. Your assignment, go look to see what gift cards you have, restaurants, retailers, whatever. Use those cards. Use them. It is your money. And, it, and just think about it. Okay, let me pull, let's see what I have in my wallet. Christy, you want me to I'll take it, yeah. Okay, here's, okay, oh, how much money wow, did I just give you? Oh, wow, a dollar. Oh, here's another. Another dollar. Here's another dollar. Okay, so now you got three, bu- oh, here's a 10. Oh, all right. Oh, and then look, I got the big money. Sweet, thank you. So I just handed you $33, and I'm starting, my palm's starting to sweat. You put that money in your pocket. <laughs> Give it back. Give it back. There you go. All right. So we feel this, this feel, you know, we feel this money. We know it's tangible. And what do we do with it? We use it, right? On the other hand, here's a gift card I got. Ooh, wow. That's sitting, a nice one yes. to your, one of your favorite, to your private club. Yeah. So sitting in my wallet and this one, I've been frantically trying to use it up. And I hate having that gift card. You're at Costco every other day. No, I wish. I wish. I'm not there that often. But it was it was something I got in return for buying something that was on promotion. And I got a Costco shop card. And I just can't wait till that zeroed out. 
I want you to have that same attitude about any gift cards you have. Use those things. Use them. It's your money that's rotting away, sitting somewhere forgotten in your home or apartment. Krista? All right. Susan in Arizona says, I recently inherited some money and I'm looking to buy a truck. Should I pay cash or put money down and finance and save some of the money? I don't have enough to buy brand new, so I'm looking for as new as I can afford. I have some credit card debt. A bankruptcy has just this month come off of my credit report. Should I pay down the cards and wait until my credit score goes up? Well, first things first, I want to tell you I'm sorry you lost a loved one that led to you inheriting money. As far as paying cash, you've got a number of things going on here. You got enough cash to buy what will be a much newer for you truck. Then you've got the credit card debt. Credit card debt is a pretty rotten thing. I don't know how much credit card debt you have. You called it some. And I'm really excited that your bankruptcy is no longer on your credit report, which means you're eligible for much better options with credit moving forward. And also the, um, the ability for you to, with the credit cards you have, to get credit cards that are going to have lower interest rates on them, also the case. I think what I would do is go ahead and pay down the credit cards. And when your credit score goes up, if you need to do an auto loan for buying an a new-to-you truck, used truck that's new to you, I think that's okay. The interest rate on the vehicle loan will be a fraction of what the interest rate is on the credit cards. The key, though, when you pay off those credit cards, no matter what, only charge to them moving forward what you can afford to pay in full that month, period. Okay, and Christy in Colorado says, Hi Clark, I recently started a new job in downtown Colorado Springs, and I'm worried that I'm going to have to start paying to park downtown. There are a few free spots that I use now that are about three blocks from my office, but the city keeps adding parking meters. I asked the president of the company if the company planned to do anything about the parking, and he flat out said no, and that we would have to walk further. I don't know how much free parking he thinks there is, but there is not much left. If I have to pay to park, it will be around $80 a month, and this seems like an incredible waste of money to me. I do not want to pay to go to work. Do you have any suggestions on how to deal with this besides finding another new job? Christy, my big concern is not this time of year, but when we get into late fall and through the winter, when the time you arrive, walking from wherever you find free parking, or the time it's time for you to leave work, it may be dark both in the morning and the evening, and that's not safe for you walking a meaningful distance. I think the option to discuss with your employer, because you're talking about $1,000 a year coming out of your pocket after tax money that you're having to pay, I would go back to the employer and see if the employer will split the cost of parking with you. Um, There are a lot of jobs in the marketplace right now. You said tell you something other than finding another job. But getting the employer to split the pain of the parking cost, to me, seems like the fairest compromise. In addition, you know, Colorado Springs is a booming town right now. 
And you're right. The ability for you to find free parking will take you more and more blocks away from work and potentially in more and more danger, uh, particularly in times of year, there's not a lot of daylight and you don't want to be in that dangerous situation. And I would present that to the employer that way, say that you're afraid about having to walk to and from your car in the dark and see if that appeals to your boss's humanity. I wonder if some offices are subletting their parking now too with the reduced workforce in person. Maybe the company can work something out. You never know. Okay. Um, This is from Donna in Georgia. A tree service I'm thinking of using to cut down a tree has a $2 million policy, but only $5,000 for bodily injury. Is this enough? And should I trust this company? $5,000 for bodily injury. This is dangerous, dangerous work for people who work for a tree service. And if someone does get injured, I was watching a tree crew today and the work they were doing was really dangerous. It was right across from our condo, and I was watching these guys. And one of them was wearing what looked like a bicycle helmet, which didn't <laughs> look like that was going to protect his head very well. Those guys are crazy. I don't know how they do it. I mean, they're, they are extremely brave or exp- extremely crazy or a combination of the two because it is so dangerous. $5,000 wouldn't cover a few hours in a hospital if somebody's injured. So you got to know that that tree service, if someone does get injured, they're ultimately coming after your homeowner's insurance as something goes all the way back to British common law, English common law allows for. And so the $5,000 for bodily injury is not enough. Okay. And this um, anonymous is requesting a clarification. You recommended evaluatelifeinsurance.org, but when I go to the website, it looks pretty sketchy. Without your recommendation, I would have thought it was a scam. Can you provide more information on who this guy running the website is and any feedback from people you know who have used his services? So Jim Hunt would really get a kick out of, and if he hears this edition of our podcast, will be laughing that you think he's sketch. So evaluatelifeinsurance.org is a service spun out of the Consumer Federation of America, old-time, long-time consumer group. And Jim Hunt is uh, used to be a state insurance commissioner, and he, since the mid-'80s, has been doing this evaluation service for people because he hates for people to get ripped off in really crummy insurance policies like variable universal life and variable life and blah, blah, blah life. And so this is a great thing that he does. It's 150 bucks for him to evaluate a policy. If you have more than one, it's 100 for each additional. And let me tell you, that's cheap money versus paying on a garbage policy. And I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com. It probably feels very sketchy at that site. No. (laughs) Visit Clark.com and subscribe to our free daily newsletter.